having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Welcome to the 6 o'clock swirl with blogger to the nation Tim Blair on the New South Wales Central Coast and yours truly Nick Cater in Sydney and making his first appearance on the swirl. Sitting there nervously, I think, at the prospect <laughs> is Andrew Bolt. Yes, the real Andrew Bolt. Sky News presenter, columnist in the Herald Sun and the scourge of the progressive left just back from a short break in Europe. Today on the swirl, New Zealand goes into the fetal position at the prospect of the Cold War. The British Conservative Party goes on the search for a Conservative leader to replace the occasional Conservative Boris Johnson and so far comes up with nothing. Germans are told to gather firewood in preparation for a long cold winter and a US Senator is giving a lesson in weird biology by an academic who thinks men can have babies. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. There are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. But first, welcome, Andrew, to the show. You're just back from uh, Europe and Holland. Tell us about it. Did you get in the path of any of those dung-throwing protests? I hope not. <laughs> uh, funny, years ago when uh, I was in Holland, uh, I was behind one of those tractors with the big sprays at the back with a spray-up liquid pig manure. <laughs> I was wondering what use they might make of them. <laughs> I never thought that it would be in terms of, uh, you know, let's spray it against a government building, for instance, to make our point. <laughs> but then again, I never thought Holland would be so stupid as to think that growing food was a sin against nature. There you go. What is your family background, Andrew, uh, given that you're from the, the low countries? Uh, were you were you a, a rural clan? Were you um, <laughs> sophisticated urbanites? Were you artists? I see you as a farmer's son, definitely, Andrew. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Well, my, my my father, when he came out here, eventually became a school teacher. But long way back, you know, my uh, my my grandfather, my mother's side, was actually born to people who herded pigs. So there you go. I have quite some sympathy with pig sprayers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of thought that that might be the case. That is good. That is a that's a it's a great link. But what is the mood in um, uh, the mood among the people? Because I'm reading of great public support for the farmers, but the media is not uh, reflecting this. Is that the case, Andrew? What's the story? Well, the Dutch media is pretty corporate left uh, on the whole. I mean, there's uh, one main uh, um, newspaper that's uh, fairly conservative, but it's, 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 it's really sad. I mean, they've got the same thing. You might recall uh, Pim Fortone once uh, running second in mm. the uh, Dutch elections. That's after he was shot dead, of course, by a green fanatic. But despite that high popularity he had and being a sociology professor and all that, again, the media just uh, rubbished him from you know, dawn to dusk. Um, it's, it's, it's really quite sad. It's, uh, again, that, that corporate media curse that we see in so many uh, democracies. But with the farmers, I don't know. I mean, I, I, didn't, uh, I wasn't really out in the, the plot alant in the farmlands. Uh, my my uh, relatives are basically urbanites, but I do have a friend who's in the Dutch Parliament, and I had lunch with her. 
and yeah, they're they're fully on board. The the issue, I mean, it's just so strange, isn't it? Mm. That for the sake of global warming, a agriculture a country that's the second biggest exporter of agricultural products in the world mm. is putting mm. farmers out of business. Like, you know, we got to save the world by starving people. It just seems nuts. Well, the way Europe goes, oftentimes, and the US, oftentimes um, Australia follows. Now, I'm just going to read you a line, Andrew and Nick, from uh, Ralph, I think Schoenhammer might be the correct pronunciation. He's an economics and political science professor at Vienna's Webster University. And uh, he wrote in an essay this week, Ultimately, there is a risk that climate policies will do to Europe what Marxism did to Latin America. <laughs> a continent with all the conditions for widespread, widespread prosperity and a healthy environment will impoverish and ruin itself for ideological reasons. Does that remind you of any other nation? New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> Australia, perhaps? What it reminds me of, there's a, a fantastic book that made such an influence on me, um, called Six Societies by Robert Edgerton, who's a, a leading anthropologist, I don't know whether he's still alive. And he went around looking at country uh, societies that for bizarre religious, superstitious reasons or whatever, sheer ignorance, had put taboos on things that would actually make them healthier, wealthier, or better fed. Uh, one of the examples he gave was Tasmanian Aborigines. He said, for some reason, at some stage, it was decided it was taboo to eat scaled fish. And mm. so they'd rather starve than eat fish that was plentiful, right? And he gave other examples around the world. You know, you couldn't eat chickens in some African tribe, something like that. And I was thinking back then, how primitive, you know, how ridiculous. Yet, we advanced people of the 21st century are doing exactly the same. In Australia, we're saying it's taboo to uh, use uranium for nuclear, for, you know, electricity. Mm. It's yes. taboo to have coal. It's taboo to use, to use gas or, mm. or oil. I mean, it's just insane. Well, that's a very good segue. I, I, for my, my travels, while you were in Holland, I was in Bowen in Queensland. I must say it's the most underrated and the finest town on the Queensland coast. Uh, but home, of course, now to the beautiful coal odour where all that lovely black coal from Adani comes off the train onto the boats and off to India <laughs> and uh, I was staying at the caravan park lovely place the mm. um, the, uh, uh, the local caravan park there little little cabin on the waterfront a man of the people oh no no that was five star for us That we had the cabin that was five star <laughs> yeah, it didn't have wheels Andrew that's how you can tell <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to the manager. He said, oh, we, we're getting some strange people through here these days. He said, we had a couple recently. He said, uh, long hair, bit unusual. He said, anyway, they came in and they said, we'd like to stay an extra night. I said, why is that? They said, well, we, we just had an unfortunate experience. We got beaten up by some of your locals. So I said to them, he said, um, which pub were you at? Are you at the Larrakit or the North? or no, they said we were tied to the railway tracks. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it, don't you find, yeah, we really are in the grip of a cult, you know, with, with yeah. people doing all sorts of things. I, th I think it seems to like be like licensing their inner bully. It's just so fantastic when you say, oh, look, you know, the planet is at stake and, 
that's the greatest evil. And therefore, we can do all sorts of terrible things to people and still feel good. I mean, isn't that just wonderful? I mean, mm. normally, you know, if you're a bully, you you, mm. you you know, you can't actually pretend you're doing any good. You're just having fun, you know, terrorizing people. But to be a bully and to think you're actually a good person, that's yep. that's wonderful. And there's no telling what they might do to you for your own good, of course. <laughs> you reminded me, um, Nick, of there was a, a sign on stores in the Bega area a decade or so ago when uh, they were being targeted. The, the logging industry was being targeted at that area. And a number of local stores had no hippies signs. Um, they just banned them. You weren't allowed to buy anything at the shops. It was really cool. Well, look, here's the thing, and you could comment on this too, Andrew. So uh, reporting this week that uh, that uh, in, in Germany, the, the fear of a fuel shortage over winter is so intense. They're actually giving people instructions now on gathering wood. <laughs> a first world country, we, we, one of them, you know, we're possibly the most advanced industrial nation in the world. And, and, and there they are going back. I mean, not just to coal, but, but to wood. Did you get an impression? Did you get a the feel there that the, the debate has changed on this? Are they, is, there, is there a dose of reality or is that just our wishful thinking? Well, you know, some of my relatives are, uh, over there are of the left. Uh, one of my beloved aunts is a, a, a supporter of uh, the Party of the Animals, even. Um, but I do sense a growing exasperation that really things are so crazy. You know, this is a good expression in, in Dutch. Uh, do normal and you'll be mad enough already. You know, like, pull your head in. <laughs> That's sweet. That's good. Really, it's it's gone nuts. and. I, I think there is a resistance to this stuff, you know. Well, obviously, you can measure it in pig manure. <laughs> that's true to who flung dung. That's uh, <laughs> true. It's absolutely true. But I, it, like, I went to the Rijksmuseum, which is uh, you know Holland's most prestigious art gallery, and went to see probably Holland's most famous painting, the world's most famous painting, Rembrandt's Night Watch. Right, a commission by the people who ran the militia. To citizens. What is it? A, 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 is it a portrait of a security guard? What's the story? <laughs> True. You might put it that way. Thank you very much, Tim, for dragging it down. But, but you, know, uh, you know, rich people ran the thing and then other citizens, worthy citizens, uh, brought their guns and they, you know, patrolled the joint and all that. The Nightwatch Commission. They, they, the, mm. the, the people in the Nightwatch commissioned Rembrandt to paint them in their full glory. So it's a huge canvas. I'm sure people would recognise it as soon as you see it. And there's a sign now next to this thing. The painting was in 1642. 1642. And next to it is an apologetic sign, one of 70-odd that they've got through the museum. The people in this painting, you may have noticed, are white. And then going on to apologise for the fact that in Amsterdam, 1642, the people running the night watch were white. I mean, how... How self-abasing do you have to be, you know? And I, I, I've seen this painting many times in, in, in the real, you know, on my visits there. Hmm. And it never occurred to me, good golly, how come there are not more Chinese people here? Why don't I see some <laughs> Jamaicans or maybe some Australian Aborigines in the Night Watch of Amsterdam in 1642? <laughs> and I just wonder, you know, if you went to the... Uh, top museum in Lagos in Nigeria. Is there a little sign outside some, you know, artifact from 
the 17th century, look, I was terribly sorry there are no mm. white people in this. I think it's only the white people that do this, you know. It's it's really quite bizarre. They should put warnings on uh, NBA games from the US. I know, you're right. For the, the lack of white people, you know. This, yeah. Where's the diversity? Come on, guys. So sorry about this, guys. Yeah, absolutely correct. But, I mean, it's nuts. Uh, this friend of mine who's a, a politician over there said um, she's also on the Amsterdam City Council. They want to do a slavery museum, right? And this is not just this sort of stuff's not just Holland. You know, it's America. Yeah. You know, it's Canada. You know, it's in England and all that. Yeah. yeah, I saw examples in England. But anyway, Amsterdam. They want to do a, a national slavery museum. And she said, "Well, how about one wing of this slavery museum includes?" Modern slavery, examples of modern slavery. I mean, we're supposed yeah. to be really concerned. Let's do that. You know, like Xinjiang, China using mm. a million Muslim Uyghurs as part of the, you know, enforced labor. They said yeah. no. They said no. Because really the focus had to be on white sins, white evil. And you see that time and time again, there's a really weird agenda going on here. Absolutely correct. It is toxic and um, and uh, and growing. I mean, I understand, for example, places such as Liverpool in the UK. It was a slavery port, so they have a slavery museum, and that makes sense. Mm. But um, but even then, it's got you know um, one element of the museum. When I was there, it's a sort of rotating display, I suppose. But they uh, they had a whole section about the. Um, campaign to rename Penny Lane, you know, the Beatles song. <laughs> yes. Uh, because uh, the man it's named after was one of the worst slavers in history. He's a oh, really bad goodness dude. Sake. For goodness sake. I mean, the same things in England. I went to uh, the Fashion Museum in Bath, you know. That... Of course you did. <laughs> I was with my daughter. Um, okay. And uh, there's a beautiful costume. You know, they've got costumes through the ages, so you can just see... Hmm. You know, the whole Jane Austen set, costumes, that kind of thing. Mm. And they had a costume from this countess in the 17th century. And they could was just saying, oh, by the way, she also had slaves. You know, it's... You just say, I'm just here to see the costumes. Can you just lay off the guilt trip kind of stuff? It's just so extraordinary. If they could, they close down institutes like the Rijksmuseum completely, wouldn't they? Because these are the new Puritans. Oh, yeah. The old Puritans hated anything <laughs> That's so true. So true. Like cultural or artistic endeavour. You know, they're, they're against sex because it might lead to dancing and stuff like that. Mm. They, uh, have I got that the right way around? <laughs> they really did detest art and high art and culture. Can you name one great artist that came out of the Puritan tradition, even though they were quite smart people and intellectuals? No, it was a sort of madness crept in. I think we're seeing exactly the same thing now. Look at the way they censored everything on television, like... Last year, when the Black Lives Matter thing was raging, any show in America that depicted cops in a very good light... Like the show Cops. Yeah, like Cops. And the children's show Paw Patrol... Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) ...had to be cancelled suddenly. It's not new, in a sense, uh, what we're going through. And I wish people could actually see that it's not new, that we've been through these mad phases before and usually regretted it. I, I, I was talking about going to Holland. Mm. The biggest, uh, oldest, I think it's the oldest church in Amsterdam, the Kerk, the big church. The Dutch are not, not very imaginative in their names. Uh, the big church, the Kerk, 
Uh, by the way, Andrew, not that we can talk in Australia. We've got an opera house in Sydney called what? Oh, the Sydney Opera House. Just in case you didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, you've got a, you've got a cricket ground in Melbourne called what? <laughs> True. You got Seven Mile Beach, which wait for it is seven miles long. Yeah, you've got mountains that are shaded in blue. What what might do you think they could be called? Yeah, but at least, you know, Melbourne's biggest cathedral is called St. Patrick's Cathedral, right? Okay, fair enough. Okay. All right. But here, uh, anyway, the big church. Well, the yes. big church, if you go inside, is so depressing. And why is that? It's because, uh, what was it, the 17th century? I have my history wrong. The Protestants went in there and smashed everything that was Catholic and beautiful, mm. right? And a lot of the churches in Holland are so mm. dead, boring to look at inside. Precisely because of that. Or I went to see uh, my, my uh, daughter graduate at St Andrews in a beautiful town in Scotland, right, where the British Open sometimes held. Mm-hmm. It once had the most magnificent mm-hmm. church there until, you know, John Knox supporters came around and knocked the bloody thing down. There's nothing there. Right? It's just So we have been through this before. But why we have to do it to ourselves again, it just shows you. Yeah, the, the, the people that say that are behind this, they say they're progressive. No, they're not progressive. They're regressive. They're bringing us back to the caves. So to the point, Nick, that you mentioned, you know, they've got to go forage for damn wood, firewood now. <laughs> you know, we thought we'd got out of that. They, they do have a bit a rich tradition, though, Germans, in their relationship with wood. After the war, when food was so scarce, they were fashioning some form of protein meal out of pine trees. So, uh, you know, it could be both their food source and their heat source. Go Germany, go progressive. Well, that's true too. That's true too. That they find that that burning wood now is called, you know, a progressive, what is it? A renewable energy kind. Biomass. Biomass, yeah. And that's that's fine, you know. But a a forest fire going through there, a bushfire, oh, that's terrible. That is terrible. Biomass (laughs) is the only mass they approve of. You won't won't hear of any biomasses in those churches you were dropping into. No, that's probably true. Oh, my goodness me. I mean, I I just find that we're in a regression here. I went to... um, so that's my dog. He's, he's also very upset. I was going to say, it sounds like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> we believe in free speech, Andrew. Let him have his say. That, uh, that bark is when he doesn't think he's getting enough pants. Okay. I went to the Tate uh, Modern, which is uh, Britain's big museum for uh, art gallery for modern art. Mm-hmm. And I had a look at the bookshop. And all, you know, if you go to the uh, National Gallery in Canberra, it's a little bit the same. The last time I went there was a whole display of Stan Grant works, which is probably the only time he gets a sale. Um, but in, in the Tate Modern, a whole look, there must have been about 30 book titles, maybe more, uh, you know, White Fragility, uh, Colonialism, Why I Won't Talk About Race, you know, to White People. Um, all these sins of, of white people and colonialism and Westerners, and it was terrible, you know. All these sins of the very culture that had produced the art that was hanging on the walls all around here, you know, that people had come to see. That is the point. That is the point. The very thing that's produced the culture we've got, the richness of the culture we've got. That is what they're decrying. The self loathing, it's just astonishing. 
So let's go to the United States where Senator Josh Hawley got into a heated exchange with a law professor who insisted that men can be pregnant. Kyra Bridges was testifying as an expert in race and reproductive rights, <laughs> and she called out the Missouri senator's line of questioning as being transphobic. Let's have a listen. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning because so we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking are you? you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that there, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think <laughs> so. So you are denying that trans people exist, Thank and that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you, Absolutely. or are they also treated like this, where no, you, no, no, they're, they're told that to they're at, opening up people to oh, violence? We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a lot you, just know, from this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Is that woman absolutely stark, staring mad, bonkers, or am I? I mean, so one of us has got it wrong. Right? Well, I don't actually see her personally as being bonkers. I see her as like a cork on a whole tide, a cultural tide. She is just a, a walking, talking uh, example of a culture that's uh, that's gone bonkers. And she went on, you know, she also said... Uh, that uh, she didn't refer to women. She, it was like uh, people capable of giving birth. Uh, like it could be mm. anyone. It could be, you know, I don't could know, you. a dog. Yeah. I don't know. But it could be me. It could be me um, with the right surgery. I don't know. And the the one of the senators asked her, uh, does an unborn baby have rights? An unborn baby, even the day before birth, does it have any rights? Do you think that a... Um a baby that is not yet born has value? I believe that a person with a capacity for pregnancy has value. They have intelligence. They have agency. They no, have I'm dignity. talking about the baby. And I'm talking about the person with a capacity for and pregnancy. And you're not answering the question. I'm asking I'm, you. I'm, think answer, that a, I'm answering you, a more interesting you think question that, to you me. You think that the baby that is not yet born, let's say the day before this mother delivers, do you think that baby has value? I think that the person with the capacity for pregnancy has value, and they have the—they should have the ability to control what happens to their lives. Well, and and I just note you refuse to answer the question. A more interesting question. Mm. It's mm. a more interesting question. I'm planning to use that next time I get pulled over for speeding. Like, how fast were you going, sir? Well, let me answer with a more interesting, <laughs> <laughs> a more interesting question. But when you think. When you get to the point where you can't refer to a mother mm -hmm. and where you don't even, where you're not interested in the rights of a child one minute from mm -hmm. birth, I think there's something seriously 
missing in your moral mm. framework. And this kind of stuff, I think, helps to explain why that whole anger at the Roe versus Wade decision or the anti-Roe versus Wade decision of the Supreme mm. Court, uh, why the left's fury about that has not translated into widespread support for the Democrat Party. Because now you're seeing people like this who are so clearly out of touch with biological and moral reality and indifferent to human life. And in fact, some of the other supporters are so indifferent that they want to threaten the lives of others to get their way, that it's just, I think, underlined that we're talking, to some extent, to barbarians. Not all of them, but to barbarians. Have you noticed as well, Andrew, this relatively recent tactic? We saw it during the debate over same-sex marriage in Australia, that... Um, unless we go along with certain views, that we're encouraging violence. Yes. That violence will result. If even to debate same-sex marriage was to put the lives of LGBTQ people un at risk. And we've heard it again in that, in that uh, hearing mm. in the US. To, um, to not recognise that men can give birth is to put at risk trans people. To, it, will, it will result in lives being threatened. Now, when does this actually happen? I get the fact. I perfectly well accept. I, I'm happy to accept the, 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 the sad fact, the tragic fact, that there is a higher rate of suicide amongst people who are confused Ooh. about their gender or transgender or whatever. True. But there may be actually be other reasons. It may not be because of a senator's line of questioning in the US Senate hearing. It, it, it may be just that they're, they're desperately confused about their own identity and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just wonder about how they imagine people hear those words. They, they, if someone hears a senator say that men can't give birth, does the person who hears that instantly conclude from that sentence that, aha, now I must go out and beat someone up. Where is the link? Where is the logical flow of that? Well, also, you've got to, you, you got to ask them exactly what they mean by violence because ah, there has yes. been a lot of playing around with the definition. You see it in, in particularly American universities that violence is actually something that you don't like to hear. Mm. You know, it causes violence... Uh, uh, violent emotions, I don't know what it does, you know, but it doesn't actually hurt people. Is it a physical violence? Hmm. That I don't know. And here, I, you know, mental distress is now being equated with violence or simply you not liking what you're hearing is, you know, you're a victim of violence. That just shows how unwoke you are, that you don't recognise it. You said that it's something somebody says can be violent. Mm. What about silence? Oh, exactly. Silence is violent <laughs> too, isn't it? <laughs> Look, it is so extraordinary, the inability to actually have an argument, because this is one of the ways people get shut up. You can't have an argument because someone might get offended, or that's violence, or you're phobic, mm. or you're this, or you're that. Uh, it's really quite absurd. And uh, we've seen the death of reason, that you can't actually have a debate mm. using reason. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a debate of insults, you know. And, and you see that some people say, well, in that example you played, um, there are people are divided. It's like a raw touch mm. test, you know. Some, some people say, oh, that professor, she really owned the politician. And others say, the politician really owned the professor. But what is the truth? It's just... For some, it's just being able to call someone you're racist or you're transphobic and you've won the argument, just that alone. She won the argument mm -hmm. simply by giving mm. him a label. Pretty easy game these days. Mm.
It, it, but it's the old Puritan thing again, isn't it? That that comes between good and evil, good people and evil people, good people like them who've got these enlightened, you know, the special view. They understand this racism business, and we don't. That's the way they look at the well, world. Well, speaking of abortions, speaking of abortions, Andrew, we had a case this week. Um, it was an, uh, a news story appeared claiming that a 10-year-old girl had been raped in the US, uh, had become pregnant as a result, 10 years old, and uh, was forced, because of uh, the new abortion uh, situation in certain states, was forced to travel interstate to have an abortion Mm. at the age of 10. A number of conservative commentators expressed scepticism about this story for a number of reasons, and they wrote about them. Uh, One of the most compelling aspects of, of that drove their scepticism was that this story came from a single source. It hadn't been explored by other media outlets. It hadn't been amplified. There were no names. Mm-hmm. And, and no police report, I understand. Like nobody, mm. It was also under Ohio state law. There was no need for a person to, in that circumstance, in that terrible circumstance, there was no need for that person to travel into state for an abortion. But then it emerged that, in fact, there had been a, a 10-year-old girl who'd been raped and fallen pregnant. And this, you know, there actually was a police report about it. But then it became obvious why the media hadn't dug further in the initial <laughs> instance. The uh, alleged rapist is an illegal immigrant. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll just close close the book on that one, shall we? Just move on, and uh, and now, of course, the um, the initial source of the story was the doctor who uh, diagnosed uh, this poor girl and uh, arranged for her to travel into state. He listed on um, on the paperwork that she was a minor, i.e., someone around about seventeen years of age. So that chap might be in a little bit of trouble as well. Absolutely, but this goes to another case uh, this week in Britain where uh, an independent inquiry has just uh, delivered its findings. It was inquiring into the sexual exploitation of more than 1,000 children in the city of Telford in in, Mm. in England. And they found that this happened over decades, but a number of authorities failed to investigate because they were scared that they'd be called racist. Because why? Mm-hmm. Because most of the perpetrators were, in fact, ethnic Pakistanis. And yep. Pakistani Muslims are that, uh, many of them too. <clears throat> now, we've seen this before. It's not just Telford. You know, you've had similar accusations made in... Just about every northern city, really. Bradford, yep. um, Rotherham, yep. uh, others I could mention... And it just seems endemic. We we have a culture. The fear of being called racist means that you have authorities in Britain that it would rather allow children to be yeah. raped than to say something about it because the offenders are, well, you know, Pakistani or whatever. That's just to me is so extraordinary, but also so totally believable now. And we've had so many, as you point out, we've had so many examples that it's, uh, I mean, it, it began with uh, Rotherham, I think, was the first notable uh, location to have these uh, these cases. 
but now we've had four or five or possibly six more, more. It just keeps going. So this is a standard operational procedure, evidently, of authorities in the, in the UK. It's staggering. Well, the, yeah, the one thing is that a number of authorities and police and social workers, right, uh, did not investigate or did not investigate properly for fear of seeming racist. That is one thing, that they allowed children to be put in danger like this. The other thing, uh, at least people are now discussing that, the other thing that this raises is, is there something cultural at work in the attitude of these gangs, these groups of men, to the people that they're abusing, that makes it... Because we're, we're hearing about these gangs, we're not hearing to anything like the same extent about, say, I don't know, Anglo-Saxon grooming gangs. I'm sure they exist, but we don't hear anything mm. like this. Mm. This this is quite quite something, quite standing out. And there should be a a discussion, I think, of the cultural factors at work here, but I think that sounds, as soon as I say that, we're all thinking, oh, my God, you know, are we going to run foul of the law for even saying that? But we should. <laughs> Not on this show. <laughs> no, no, I know. But we. Sh- but the thing, here we are afraid, right, because of the legal consequences. You could, it's just insane. Mm. So we're not saying it. And the same suppression of debate is happening regarding the high levels and higher than background levels of sexual abuse of children in some Aboriginal communities. You're seeing exactly the same. Andrew, uh, white Anglo-Saxon grooming gangs in the US are known as teachers' unions. (laughs) (laughs) So they do exist, they are real. Let's go to the UK. The UK, uh, Boris Johnson, I think we celebrated him last week. Boris Johnson, half Winston Churchill, half Groucho Marx has left the leadership there. The man who... Most people lead political leaders in a fairly undignified fashion. He arrived in an undignified fashion, I seem to... Remember when he he did that trick on that wire? That's right, with his flags. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. He went steaming down with a flat and then got suspended in midair like some damp tail for about 10 minutes so they could get him off. And it, it would have killed anybody else's political career, but not him. But anyway, who's going to replace him? Uh, here's the odds, chaps. Uh, Penny Mordant mm-hmm. is $2. She's the favourite. Liz Trust is $3.10. Rishi Sunak, $4.50. Kemi Badnock, $23. Ooh, a long way out. And here's a roughie for you. Tom Tugendhatten, $90. One dollar. I, I don't know what you think. Uh, they're struggling now to find a conservative. And I see the conservative writers in Britain are doing sort of character checks on these people to see if there's any wokery in it in them. And they found really? some in Penny Morden. Mm-hmm. So Penny Morden wrote a book uh, last year, along with a chap who's now her co-campaigner, Chris Lewis. It was a book called After Britain After the Storm, in which she criticised Dad's army. And Heidi High, and it ain't half hot, man. <laughs> she described them as a bingo card house of casual racism, homophobia, <laughs> white privilege, colonial and transphobia, business. So, despite the fact that she was a Brexiteer, despite the fact she served in the army, it seems that Penny Moore, and despite the fact that she's a very hmm. striking looking candidate, I would say. Sexist, a sexist would say. Uh, photogenic. Are we allowed to say photogenic hmm. without being. No, you stuffed yourself, no. Yeah, you're gone. Cancelled. 
Isn't isn't Rishi a bit of a woke bloke? If he was woke, they'd at least have character. I think. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned Rishi Sunak third in the list. Uh, boy, his stocks have fallen fast. So uh, anyway, there you go. I was disappointed. I, I was hoping that um, Kenny Badnock would do it. Uh, raised in Nigeria, very. She is anti woke. Mm, she's great. And anti, you know, anti. Uh, Critical race theory gave great speech in Parliament about it, but uh, got stabbed in the back by Suella Braverman, who was also posing as the anti-woke, mm. anti-net zero candidate, but uh, threw her support in behind, uh, I think, Liz Trust or anyway. Uh, so that was a real shame. So it looks like we're not going to get uh, a truly anti-woke candidate, anti-net zero candidate in the Conservative Party. Um, I know that Penny Morden is now, mm. you know, oh, I, I know what a woman is. You know, I've served in the, what was what, whatever she served in, the uh, Navy, I think. The Navy. She was in the Navy. Uh, I've served. So mm. uh, if you've served in the Navy, you know there's a difference between men and women. Women, so goodness <laughs> yeah. knows how I interpret that. You have to join the Navy to find out? <laughs> you know the difference between men, women and cabin boys. <laughs> just shows, you know, like these guys, so many conservatives, not just in Britain. Uh, you see them here too. Uh, we've had uh, a former liberal communications minister uh, they're lions on these social issues when it comes to pre-selection. Oh, yeah. And they're absolute rats when it comes to actually being in government. <laughs> they don't do a thing, right? They go along with the flow. So uh, whatever they say in this <laughs> candidacy where they have to actually get voted in by the Conservative Party members, what they say may be one thing. Let me see what they do when they're actually in office, because I don't think it'll be much. Remember Boris Johnson, anyone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the big conservative line, wasn't it? Yeah. Say what you like about Boris. Oh, I will. <laughs> he, d- he did know what a woman was. He'd done a lot of research in that area, I gather. Yeah. <laughs> he, he knows what a woman is, but he doesn't know how many kids he has. It's <laughs> a, it's a right. complicated situation. Yeah, isn't it amazing? This is the guy... It suddenly popped up a year or two ago as the biggest global warming activist on the planet, you know, quoting, quoting Greta Thunberg. I think that was a case of sexually transmitted politics, Andrew. Uh, that's, uh... Well, yeah, it just shows, you know, a guy with no conviction, uh, anyone can pour some into him. He then does have convictions, so they just don't happen to be his He own. is someone with convictions. He is, he's a refreshing blast of truth. Not. It's yes. In uh, 2016... Lefty economist Joseph Stiglitz spoke at the World Economic Forum. He told them that given its education levels, Sri Lanka may be able to move directly into high productivity (laughs) organic farming. Great call, Joseph. Now, if any average sort of plonker said something like that, they probably wouldn't stick their head up, you know, these days. They might take it a bit quietly and... uh, just wait for Sri Lanka to ride out a bit and hope that no one remembers that quote. Guess who turned up on the ABC this week on 7.30? Oh, you're kidding. The, really? The ABC's promo ran, uh, Joseph Stiglitz challenges the orthodoxy that interest rate rises are the answer to inflation. We're not listening to you, sunshine. You are. You... But, but Tim, you say that. You say that. We're not listening to you. Mate, uh, there was... Uh, 
the, the, uh, Paul Lurlick, who predicted, oh, yeah. you know, there'd be mass starvation Turns up on the ABC. before the end of last yeah. century. Turns up on the ABC. Does it, a, 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 another victory lap of Australia. What was it, last year? A couple of years ago. Who knows these days? Tim Flannery. Hmm. Has anyone <laughs> in the ABC disowned him for saying that even the rain that flows will not f- actually fill our dams and our river systems? Yeah, to... to get, Tim Flannery would have to slog his way through floods to get to an ABC studio now, but they will not, I bet you, ask him, even though he's covered with a watermark up to his chest, <laughs> hey, what about, your, uh, what about your prediction that we wouldn't have floods? I mean, seriously. Well, Barry Cassidy is, is still like this emeritus professor of politics, even though he's famously got massive things wrong, 2016 with Trump. Oh, you know, the nightmare is over. Yeah, look, and uh, We live now in a society where, at least on the left, at least on the ABC, it is far better to be r- wrong in company than be right on your own. So if you can be right, but if you don't have company, they don't want yeah. you. They would much rather be wrong in company, and they still think they're okay. You ever look at their persecution of George Pell? Reality is a social con- construct, isn't it, of course, as you keep proving time and off again. And well done on that George Pell stuff, by the way. Oh, thank you. T- congratulated mm. before, but we'll do it now. You were you stuck with him. Look, free trade, isn't it? Free trade in the end is what has stopped the world starving to death. And I saw a fan- fantastic example of free trade. I wasn't altogether mm. comfortable with it in a... In a Woolworths in uh, in Bowen, as it happens, so they, they had a very quite a full fish counter. So Bowen's a great fishing <laughs> town, right? It's on the coast, all the fishing sh- sh- come ashore. We are surrounded by so much coastline here. You know, out of every advanced industrialized nation, probably any nation at all, we've probably got more coastline per person, uh, and therefore a lot of fish. But here's what they had on display: they had a, a Nile perch fillets, seventeen dollars a kilo from Tanzania. They had fresh bassa fillets from Vietnam. They had imported prawn meat from Vietnam. They had thawed imported lobster tails from Brazil. Wow. Uh, They had uh, squid from China. And wait for it. Where do you think their barramundi came from? I'll give you... you, Have a stab at it. Where do they get their barramundi from? Indonesia. Sri Lanka. My Lord. (laughs) Seriously? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. But, you know, it's interesting you were saying about uh, free trade uh, helped the world. And you're absolutely correct, right? Uh, Free trade has been brilliant. But do you think we're now rethinking all this? Because we worked in a paradigm where uh, free trade, you know, any country that was best at one thing, we'll let them do that and we'll do our own. We'll, We'll trade between ourselves and we both get rich. Obviously, that's how it works. But then came the pandemic. Then comes China imposing various bans. Uh, with the pandemic, you saw what was it? China and India had for a number of medicines. They were the uh, they supplied about eighty percent. Mm. China supplied most of the world's uh, mm. PPE gear, mm. and they closed the barriers. We couldn't get that sort of stuff. And and th- that's mm. not alone. I mean, uh, we're now dependent so much on Chinese. Uh, various Chinese things. We can see the, uh, the infrastructure problems that we have or the uh, supply chain problems that we have with China going uh, a little bit pear-shaped. Are we now thinking free trade is fine to a point, but it is time we started looking after ourselves, producing what we really need, which is most important, 
here, no matter what the cost is, relative to what we could have got by importing. The difficulty, I think, with that, Andrew, is that you don't know what's coming down the highway. You don't know what the nature yeah. of what the next crisis is. So mm. if we'd if we'd been able to crystal ball a pandemic and the precise nature of the pandemic, we could have had supply lines and local local manufacture of uh, whatever we needed. But you can't really plan for a mystery. It's which is, I guess. No, I know that, but there are some things you can't do without. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things you could do without if it had to happen, and it doesn't matter. Let's not worry about. It. We have substitutes, but there are other things that are critical. I'll give you one example. Fuel. Exactly. I was about to say coal, oil, gas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, that, that is just one. I would have thought maybe some, some of the medicines, yes. And all right, you can't predict the exact thing that's going to come with this pandemic or a war involving China on our doorstep. Mm-hmm. But I just think the risks of not preparing for those admittedly remote possibilities is now too hard. Well, as well, Andrew, things like coal, yeah. oil, gas, nuclear would have been good for Australia no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Free trade's good, like, it's worked pretty well, but you don't want to get too reliant on either for imports or exports on a totalitarian country like Russia, for instance, where they're now feeling this in Germany and other countries that they, 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 if they have to stop, if they, they're mm. preventive from getting gas from Russia. If they don't want to buy it, then they're really stuck. Or New Zealand. So I learned this week that New Zealand has 5 million cows or thereabouts. 2 million of them or thereabouts are essentially sending every drop of milk they have comes out of those 2 million cows to China. That's how reliant they are. You know, I mean, mm. uh, the, the Russians love their children too, but they didn't put them on New Zealand mm. baby formula, uh, which uh, made a slightly different uh, dynamic in the old Cold War. But you know, New Zealand is absolutely in hock to China. It's the second largest source of inward investment. So I feel we've got to f- treat New Zealand a bit gently on this and as a, as, a, as a like another Pacific nation and say, it's OK. It's OK. If China stops buying your milk, we'll buy the stuff. I don't know where we'll put it or what we'll do with it, but you'll be OK. <laughs> you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look, there's also a, a really basic thing, and I know, you know, there's always a risk of sounding like Colonel Blimp, uh, you know, or Carthage must fall or whatever. But China is doing the, one of the biggest military build-ups we've ever seen. What's it wanting all that military mm-hmm. for? It is threatening war. It is threatening us. Um, and we are sending, what is it, 75? 70% Nuts. of our, 75% of our natural gas to China from the East Coast, 75%. We're sending iron ore and coal over there. They're building, they're using our energy, our iron ore, our coal in part to build, for example, its fourth big aircraft carrier this year. Fourth biggest. We're, are we, are we, actually building a Chinese military that one day we yeah, might so be having to a, fight? A carrier, a, an aircraft carrier courtesy of Twiggy Forest. He produced that iron ore. You know, I mean... <laughs> do, you know, do you know, this is, this is I can't, for me, this is like symbolic. Australia uh, has mm. no more aircraft carrier. Uh, our last aircraft carrier has gone to oh. China. Our last aircraft carrier was China's first aircraft carrier. And copying. It didn't actually use it. 
It was more for training <laughs> purposes and all that. What, bombing? More for firing missiles at in <laughs> Isn't it incredible? Yeah. And then China built, got another one, an aircraft carrier. It, it got that aircraft carrier from <laughs> Ukraine. It towed it all the way from Ukraine, promising it was going to use it as a floating casino <laughs> off Macau or something like that. Bull dung. Oh, <laughs> it ended up man, somewhere else. <laughs> I did think when people this week were celebrating the fact that China was going to start graciously taking out coal again, you know, because they're getting a bit short of the stuff. That was somehow a good news oh, story. I mean, self-interest. I, for the life of me, why can't we send that coal to Poland? And I mean, Poland is crying out for our coal and we can't send it to them. But isn't it also bizarre, Nick, uh, we have decided that it is too sinful to use, well, for us to use at any rate, our uranium for electricity. But we will send it out to someone else. We are now deciding it is increasingly too sinful for us to use our coal for producing electricity. But we will still send that to somewhere else either, even though the emissions affect the whole globe. It's not like the emissions stay just over the country that uses our coal. We are just, uh, I think we get slightly nuts these days, I've got, to, I've got to say. Remember when Robert Menzies was vilified for selling or allowing exports of a pig iron to um, to Japan before World War Two? Pig iron Bob. He, he, he was still tagged pig iron Bob well into his uh, premiership. But really, uh, this, this is an issue. We have... The West has contributed to the growth of China, which is yeah. a good thing in theory and certainly a good thing for, you know, 1.4 billion people. I mean, who wants to live in poverty? But let's not forget that we've also contributed to the growth of the most menacing military probably humanity has ever seen. And, and, and there is now a, a, a totalitarian mm. leadership in Beijing that is threatening to use it. And... It's threatening us as well. Look, Penny Wong will get it sorted out. There's a mob we've mentioned previously, Nick, called the Tire Extinguishers. Very clever, very clever name. Now, what? Maybe Andrew Bolt hasn't come across them. Andrew, have you, do you come across the Tire Extinguishers? No, mate. It sounds technical, and I have no knowledge of technical things. Oh, no, 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 no. It, it's exactly the opposite of technical. The Tire Extinguishers are a climate activist group who target large automobiles, SUVs and such, and let, yeah, and let down the tyres. Oh, I've have heard, yeah, I have heard of this. They've recently expanded their activities. They've, they've, they're op operating in, I think, eight different countries, but they're now striking in the US. And they warn that they can, they'll strike anytime and anywhere, which is the biggest lie you've ever heard since the last thing a climate activist said. These are the cities that they've hit so far in the areas. The Upper East Side of New York. So that's, you know, wealthy people and their SUVs. Uh, wealthier areas of Chicago. Scranton in Pennsylvania. Joe Biden's hometown, as it happens. San Francisco. Again, white liberal areas because they're the people who own the big SUVs. Notice where they're not attacking. Texas. Alabama, <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> they have uh, license to carry concealed weapons there, don't they? <laughs> when they say they'll strike any time, they only do this at night because they're cowards. Uh, but they do leave these little notes on the windscreens of the cars they've disabled saying, nothing personal, but we're saving the planet. 
by terrorizing people. As I said before, right, it is the most delicious excuse to be a thug and a bully and still mm. think you're a good person by terrorizing other people, by inconveniencing other people. And the worry about this, this bizarre mentality is that if you really think that what you're doing is excused by the fact that you're somehow, by doing this, stopping mm. the world collapsing in a smoking ruin and you're saving the lives of billions, if that's your excuse, the problem is, if that's your excuse, why don't you actually, I don't know, assassinate people? Wouldn't that be enough? And, and, and also, by that weird, bizarre, evil logic, be excused? And I wonder whether we are going to be seeing these well, look at what happens. Look at what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. Sicker than they are now. We've seen Supreme it before. Supreme Court judge, you... and uh, someone was arrested outside his house. Well, on a mission exactly. to uh, execute him. And and also, you have a look at Portland, Oregon. Now, mm. obviously, that's a different issue. They're talking there. Black Lives Matter. But what the violence mm. they're doing mm. there, the people they're attacking, the shootings and the muggings, the firebombing of Starbucks mm. outlets and all that. Oh, this is for a better world, do you think? Well, they tried to build a better world, didn't yeah. they? Remember that, remember that Chaz Chop City they tried to build, the, the thriving alternative community? Yeah, which turned into a just a, a free-fire rape zone within about two days. So Anthony Albanese is doing his own version of defunding the police. He's defunding the construction police. The Australian Building and Construction Commission, you know, the ones that checks for illegal activity by trade unions mm. at building sites. Now, it turns out that the ABCC has been very successful as a policeman. They've, uh, they've uh, bought successful cases uh, with a totaling more than $7 million in fines in the last three years against the CFMEU. Here's an example. Here's an example. So uh, t three trade union officials march onto a building site at Adelaide Airport completely illegally. Claim when asked for their entry per permits, they said, and I'll tell you what they said, it's here in this uh, report of the trial. I'm going to have to bleep this out, of course, in post-production. They said, F you, I'm not dealing with you. You're a waste of space. He's a piece of You're a Idiot. I don't care what you're doing. If why don't you go to your back to your colouring books? You, I won't even say that word. And on it went. And, and the, the judge in the case said it may be that there is a degree of coarse language that occurs in construction sites. <laughs> However, the language used by Mr. Savage, appropriately named mm. Mr. Albert, and the sentiments they conveyed went beyond coarseness. Instead, their statements had a belittling, belittling, denigrating. <laughs> denegatory, I can't even pronounce that word, and bullying and bullying tenor. They were a form of abuse, as they quite well were. Now, what's happened is the CFMU, as I said, has paid $7 million of fines because of this body for the last three years. Now, the Albanese government has come in promising to abolish, defund the police. Defund the police. Get rid of the Ooh. police body. Why? Because the CFMEU paid them several million dollars in donations in the last two years. No, no, surely you've been too cynical. 
Well, they have paid those donations. <laughs> it's on the record. I, I, I just thought maybe they thought... It's a long well, bow. If... Are you seriously drawing a link between $7 million of donations? And don't forget the votes on the ALP conference floor as well. Between that and the and Labour Party giving them a little favour. See, it's abusive language like that is why I stopped going on the ABC's insiders. <laughs> <laughs> My, my delicate sensibilities were offended by the constant vo- vulgar attacks. Yeah, they, they, they got four hundred fined four hundred thousand dollars for that instance at the airport. The, the one in, in in East Terrace in uh, Adelaide which came came to court this week. They got fined another two hundred thousand dollars. Apparently, they've been shouting "grub, grub, grubbity grub" at all the workers that went in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here's the point. I mean, what's going on? You know John Secker. Well, you probably don't know him personally, uh, Andrew, but you know him. He's a CFMEU uh, leader in, in mm. South Australia. In Victoria, now taken, yeah. uh, no, in Victoria, who's now taken over the South Australian He's notorious yeah, for this kind of behaviour. He was thrown out of the Labour Party, I think, last year, sort of the year before, at, uh, at, at orchestrated by yes. our current Prime Minister. He threw him out of the Labour Party because he'd, he'd said a... He'd said derogatory things against, um, uh, what's her name, Batty. Rosie. Uh, what's her name? He said derogatory <coughs> things against Rosie, Rosie Batty, Batty, of course, he's a fighter for domestic violence. And mm. and yet, Labour is prepared to come to their their aid. Um, all right, you answer me. If there's no... <laughs> if it's not, as I cynically suggest... Uh, just repaying, <laughs> repaying the unions for their kind donations to the to the Labour Party by abolishing the police force in the building industry. What is it, Andrew? I mean, where's the public policy good in what will inevitably increase? <laughs> no damn idea. I have got no idea. Uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's been going on for so long. The CFMEU. It's, they've been condemned by so many judges now. They've lost so many battles. Uh, but, yeah, they've, they've got Labour by the short and curlies. It's really quite pathetic. They were also condemned, you'll recall, by Patricia Carvalis. Oh, no, really? Yes. The voice of God. She turned against the, uh, the unionists in Melbourne when they protested all the uh, mask mandates and COVID requirements and vaccinations rules. That was the breaking point for her. So she accepted everything else, but she couldn't. That was the final thing. That, my friend, was an example of toxic masculinity. Uh, Oh, there you go. My conclusion is Anthony Albanese seems not to be a man of conviction, but he knows lots of people with convictions, (laughs) and he's friends with them. (laughs) Except I worry. I mean, Nick, I don't know what you think. This global warming stuff, every single day of his prime ministership so far, Mm. global warming, global warming, global warming, global warming. I Mm. worry, do you think he believes it? I think he might believe it. I think he does. This is starting to scare me. I think he does. Either that or he's been hypnotised by um, weird zealots or something. But he... Well, let's put the opposite thesis. Let's say he doesn't believe it. Let's say he's just trying to make soothing noises to the... the, uh, the woke left in his party. Um, is that feasible? Would he keep it up for this long and this this often? And would he would he put a would he find the stupidest man he had 
at his disposal and give him the energy minister's job. <laughs> <laughs> so it's matched by, and, and I think to do his shtick on global warming, this is probably necessary, but it's also matched by the mm. most incredible mm. stupidity and ignorance about what he's actually talking about. I mean, just this week, it's th- on its last day, the specific forum, his fourth overseas visit in seven weeks, he said, uh, mm. look, global warming is an existential threat for some of these islands, like Tuvalu. And he said, Kiribati. Kiribati. Did he say Kiribati? Well, he meant Kiribati. I mean, find, find it odd that he goes to the Pacific <laughs> Islands to mend, f- to mend fences and he can't even pronounce the names of some of the places. But anyway, <laughs> Kiribati. Um, Kiribati and Tuvalu, he named them mm. as existential threats, uh, facing existential threat. This, the science is actually absolutely clear, so clear that even the ABC has admitted mm. that both of those islands are growing, not sinking, growing. Uh, uh, and uh, how does Albanese get away with this? Well, how do, how do the islands get away with it? Just shakedown organisations. Yeah, but well, that's it, isn't it? For the Pacific Islands, the reason they keep saying global warming, uh, because it's a guilt trip on, on the West. The louder they scream global warming, the more money we give them. Why wouldn't you do that? But, like, why are we giving them money? Why should Australia be on the hook? Our only thing here is proximity. It's global warming. Uh, correct. You ask how Albanese gets away with it. He gets away with it because most people run normal lives and have lives and do normal things, not like you and Tim who spend all your time trawling through <laughs> material to put it up on your blogs to hang him with. So that's why I think... <laughs> Thank goodness you do it, because that makes an entertaining show every week. Uh, Thank you, Tim, very much for your company again. And Andrew, you've been a star. We we hope to tempt you back again. Made a pleasure talking to two two friends. You come on my (laughs) show, I come on yours. Mutual back scratch. Oh, good, because I thought for a moment we were going to have to pay you for your appearance in actual cash. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, whiskey donations only, please. I predict big things for this young bolt fella. He'll go places. He's got a he's got a certain uh, uh, forensic charm to him. No, no, no. My next my next place that I'm going to uh, is the garden and the, my library. That's it. That's it. I'm out of here. Good. Get, get your strength up and then go back and niggle the left on Monday morning. Yeah, absolutely. Good to talk to you both. Thank you, guys. Talk to Pleasure, you guys. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. How long can the British people be deprived of the opportunity to have on its Tim Tams at a reasonable price. How good is Australia? Yeah!